The date is Friday, May 27th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this episode, we're talking about the series of young adult fantasy books called Percy Jackson and the Olympians. We'll discuss the narrative of the first book, set the scene, and go into why the movie failed so hard. And of course, it's the end of the month, so we can't do it without a special guest. So enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. You know it, you love it. It's Entertain This. Entertain This! As always, as I have been for the past two years, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. Uh, and I'm Nick. And uh, we, we, why are you making that face? What's up with that face? Two years? Yeah, for the, we've been doing this show for two years. Oh, uh, I thought months. your name—I thought you were saying your name was Alex for the last two years. My name has been Alex strictly for the last two years. Oh, before okay. that, what was it? Before my that? name was a secret, Winston. And if you guess it, <laughs> I'll let you have your baby back. Uh, anyway, that's a Rumpelstiltskin pull. If you didn't oh, know, oh nice, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's a deep, it's a deep cut it's for my for my deep cut grim grim fairy tale lovers out there. Uh. Guys, it's that special time of the month again. You know, the one where we've run out of ideas and we have to go seeking help from an outside source. You have to dig deep into that rich vein of friends, family, homeless people who have nothing else going on on a Wednesday night. Uh, And I would say, arguably, this time we hit all three of those categories. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, you know him from the, the hit new D&D actual play podcast, Project Icosa. Mm. He plays the beloved character of, uh, Zelgadon Solaris, none other than Dan Robertson. Hello. Dan, hello. Dan, What's man? up, oh, man? Good evening, dailies and dental gems. <laughs> Welcome to Entertain This, the other podcast that we do. Yeah. <laughs> is it weird? Does this feel like being in your house, but like after you move out, someone else it, moves in? It feels strange. the same. It feel, I, oh, it feels the exact same. I'm going to have such a difficult time not lapsing into some goofy dialect or something like that. So That's 100% fair. Yeah, this show, I would argue that Project Icosa is harder on the performers than this show is because this show is literally just a conversation. Project Icosa is like, a completely different ball game from that. So hopefully you have an easier time here. That's at least the hope. I uh, somehow managed to adequately prepare uh, against the odds. So, um, you know, that's more than we do most of the time. Yeah, I, you know, inspiration hits like anything else, uh, usually like a bag of bricks. Um, And you're so right. Last night I cranked out the the outline for for the, our conversation tonight so i'm i'm very excited to dig in yeah man uh so uh, not only are you on another podcast that we produce and thus a great addition to our uh our roster of guests that we've had on our show uh but you also are in fact an expert in something that we would not have been able to do an episode of uh i think you're going to bring a lot of information to that so without further ado i'm going to pass the torch to you for you to lead this episode of Entertain This. Alrighty, thank you. Uh, so tonight we are going to be talking about 
Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Ooh. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Uh, very, very beloved book series to myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I can literally remember the first time I got a copy of The Lightning Thief. Um, but I am going to do a little bit of ping ponging as we kind of dive into it. So, uh, God bless. Rick Riordan is the author of the Percy Jackson books and all of the various spinoff series that Percy Jackson has uh, created, as well as other in-universe series that he has written about featuring other mythologies and pantheons. Um, but mainly we're going to focus on Percy Jackson. All the other uh, characters and pantheons and mythologies of that sort will definitely get a shout out and a mention, but more of a kind of uh, addendum worthy. Nice. Uh, Nick, For sure. please. Oh, can I, can, I hand up? To, can I ask you to stop this train? Back it up a little bit. Don't say train in this. Don't say train in this podcast one more time. Don't you dare. I'll get very excited <laughs> if you say train. But no, I, I don't know anything about Percy Jackson. I barely know yeah. who he is. Great. I, I think that his brother directed 1918, 1917. Um, uh, somebody directed that. And their last name was Jackson. Got it. So that's where mm. I'm at. All right. I know nothing. Forgive me. Yeah. Can you give me I, some I, feed? I'm, I'm in a similar vein to Nick here. I, I've never really heard of Percy who, Jackson, who but I, Percy? I do know what the word Olympian means. Really? I mean, someone who performs at the Olympics. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, that's yeah. first grade. Great. Okay. okay. All right. So we've got a great uh, mix of knowledge. Dive, dive in. Here's, here's what I got, if I may. Um, I actually went on my first date ever uh, to go see Percy Jackson, the first movie, mm-hmm. when it first came out. A long ass time in ago. 2010. And it was in 2010. And I was so <laughs> young at the time that I sat three rows in front of my parents and my sister with my date. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was Good maybe the fifth grade. Maybe the fourth. The epic highs and lows of growing up. Am I right? <laughs> so right. I mean, the first date has to happen. You and know? it's never just, comfortable. That's for darn it's sure. Never, it's never comfortable. And Always uh, I mean, you'll get into it, but that movie maybe wasn't the best representation of the book. I will get into it and I won't harp. I've, I feel like I've got uh, a good mix. You've got an hour, so you say, better harp about I've something. I've got a good subjective, <laughs> subjective, objective harp. mix about uh, uh Opinions on the on the initial movie. Okay, so Great. Percy Jackson, when The Lightning Thief, the first book in the series, opens up, he's a 12-year-old kid from New York City. And Percy uh, comes from a blended family. He uh, grows up believing that he does not know his father. And he is raised by his mother, Sally, who is working nine to five, tumbles out of bed, stumbles to the kitchen, pours herself a cup of ambition every morning to provide for her sweet son. This boy has... ADHD and dyslexia. And he is on a field trip in Manhattan to a museum. And his math teacher is really, really just trying to to get him to step out of line. And he's like, what is going on? And he walks off. He he gets separated from the group and uh, he turns around and his math teacher is looking a little less uh, human than normal. And then she sprouts wings and claws and turns into a fury and attacks him. And yeah, this that sounds just like my experiences with my math you know, like teachers, every yeah. other field trip, right? And <laughs> so his Latin teacher appears out of nowhere, chucks him a pen, and he uncaps the pen, and he's got a sword, and somehow yeah. manages to defeat this fury, and thus begins 
our hero's journey. Hmm. Okay. So it's a book. I love the pen sword. That's my like whole favorite part of this entire it's, thing. It's a it's a defining characteristic of Percy Jackson. It I is. Just, I just figured out this is a book. So forgive me for being slow. <laughs> hey, you it's know, a book. we yes. all get there. We all get there. I had to look it up, and I was thinking of Peter Jackson, who directed the film "They Shall Not Grow Old," which there is an archive is. film of World War One footage. Yo, um, you know, that's nothing like. So it's well, nothing to I do mean, with anything. But yeah. so <laughs> I'm with you now. I'm with you. That's so matters. sorry. So <laughs> I guess my question, because I feel like there's a little bit of setup that needs to come with Percy Jackson. Uh, who the frick are the Olympians in history? Yes, even? absolutely. So oh, I know this one, but there you can are. Go ahead. Oh well, let's put it together. <laughs> together, if we please. may. Please, Olympians yeah. aren't they the people, the ancient Greece? Yes. People? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw them in Hercules. Yeah. yeah uh, yes. Uh, okay. A so very it's fun like fun version. It's a pantheon <laughs> of gods. Yeah, yeah yes. they're not that fun. We know that. We know I think that for that a fact. <laughs> there's sh- one of them was be- very fun. There will be a future episode comparing Seven. Hercules to actual Greek mythology. You could, do a, you could do a whole episode of all their depictions in pop culture versus what the actual, because it's not. Oh, yeah. God bless. <laughs> I mean, as far oh, as yeah. I know, Dionysus seemed like a great time. Oh, yeah. He do no, be the good. god of parties. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be partying. I mean, revelry, but revelry parties. And I, yeah. So we got, we got our boy Herc, obviously. He's in that pantheon, right? Kind of. Kind of. He's a, he's a demigod. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but we got his his daddy, Zeus. That's right. Zeus. Zeus is a mother because he he likes to go down on Earth and have babies with women. All the time. Human yeah. women. He, All he the time. Is, so much so that there are like uh, thousands and thousands of children he, of Zeus. He's noted amongst his peers as being especially lecherous. Yes. Yes. Viral. Great word. Um, so, it's an SAT viral. word for y'all. Viral, sorry. Viral, v- I would say he's both, both viral yeah. and <laughs> virile. Um, so we got we got his wife. I believe her name is Ath. Hera. Athena. Hera. Hera. Hera is Hera. the wife of Zeus. Okay, um, Athena is Zeus's daughter. She sprouted literally mm-hmm. from his forehead. Yeah, because Incredible. she's the goddess of wisdom and uh, like strategy and uh, cleverness and wit are really associated with her uh, as well. And because she is such a cerebral figure, uh, it, it, the legend says that Zeus was thinking with such intensity that he just <laughs> she <laughs> sprouted out his forehead. So like God bless, wait, like a fresh zit. <laughs> Disgusting. So, okay, so that's that's three. Who else we got? Who's going to play so, a, an important role? Zeus has two brothers. He's got Hades mm-hmm. and Poseidon. I think. Of course. I think most yep. people know the names Hades and Poseidon. Hades. Poseidon be up in the up in the ocean. All the oceans. Yeah. And king of the ocean, god of the ocean. Hades. That's god of the so underworld. interesting. That's right. Because like that means in Greek mythology, they believed there to be three realms. Precisely. There was the yeah, realm. That's exactly. There was the the realm of like the, I'm just putting this together yeah, yeah. now. So this is like my aha moment wow. for the audience. There's like the realm of like where we live on Earth, right? And then there's the realm of the ocean, the sea. That's completely different. They're like that's a different place. That's almost the ocean to them is almost as different a place as actual hell, which is yeah. like why not well and i mean when 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 the world you grow up in in that in the era of those myths was so dependent on the sea so dependent on the sailors you know it only Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah so uh okay so we've got 
Zeus, his wife Hera, his Zeus's brothers Hades and Poseidon, and Zeus's mm-hmm. daughter Athena. There's also Zeus's other children, Artemis and Apollo. Yeah. Artemis is the goddess of maidenhood of um, some would say uh, some folks consider celibacy to be tied into that. Um, Mm -hmm. Apollo, god of the sun, usually another popular name people know. God of the sun. Hmm, Who else? Ares, the god of war. Yeah. Who can forget him? Until Kratos came along. Until Kratos came along. (laughs) Who's the homie who marries the cool brother of the three Hades? Because Hades is the cool brother of the three. All right. So Hades' wife is Persephone. Yes. Sometimes, right? She's a sometimes wife. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there are obviously going to be variations in some of the stories, but typically most of the most of the stories have her as his wife. Well, isn't it like there's discrepancy on whether she's willing or not? Unfortunately. Yeah. Shout out the ancient Yikes. world for being brutal and terrifying. Yeah, so true. Um, for more information, uh, go play the game Hades. And for more information, yes. go to a library. Yeah, <laughs> here's here's Talk the real hot and spicy. We all think Hades is a bad guy because of Hercules, because we think Hades like tortured Hercules and like made him. But that wasn't that wasn't Hades. That was actually uh, Zeus's wife, uh, Hera, right? Who tortured. Uh, Hercules throughout his trials. That was her who did it. As revenge on Zeus's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, our boy Hades was just chilling in the underworld, taking care of his dog. He's just a he's just a moody boy with a dog. He really like, is. We can all he really is. We can all relate to that. Well, and um, it's funny you mentioned that because a big component of the first five novels that Percy Jackson appears in. Uh, How many are there? Um, well, okay, so Percy technically appears in ten. Uh, but the first five is like he is the focal point. Um, but I love that you said that because in the first five, there's a big, um, a, a big, a big facet of the story are, is the relationship between Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon, and uh, mm-hmm. they talk a lot about how uh, when when uh, thousands of years ago, when the the realms were divided up. Zeus and Poseidon were a bit cunning and sly and said, you know, we'll take these domains. These are full of living things. We've got these and you get the land of the dead. So he never sees the sun. He never gets to feel the, you know, it it was less. He, he was less willing, I guess, initially to take the job, but he has certainly made it his own. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay, so how does this connect to to Percy Jackson exactly? We'll get there. So here's it's all, so here's it's all related. Right. Okay, he's got the pin. The pin go clicky clicky. Yes. The pin turned into a sword, and he killed the guy. So what yes. happens next? So he is like, okay, why did my Latin teacher just throw me a pen? That's a sword. Um, and then he realizes the one friend he's had this whole time in school. Keep in mind he's twelve with some learning difficulties, and that's mm-hmm. it's a tough age. So his one friend is like freaking out. So then something really scary and shadowy is chasing them. And his friend is like, we got to go find your mom. And he's like, we're literally on a field trip right now. What are we? He's like, we have to go find your mom. (laughs) And so they go and grab Sally Jackson. Sally Jackson takes the stepfather's car and they peel out towards Long Island Sound. Well, the (laughs) the storm is coming down. It's only getting crazier. There's noise behind them. They're like, what's going on? The car flips. They all barely crawl out. It explodes. There is a hill in the distance with a single pine tree on it. And Percy's mom, Sally, and his best friend, Grover, are both like, go, run for the hill, go. And Percy and Grover are booking it. And they finally see this shadowy figure. It's a minotaur. It is a minotaur from the depths of Tartarus. 
and it has his mom and all of a sudden his mom disappears in this flash of golden light and he takes the sword that he has and he cuts off the minotaur's horn and they make it into past this hilltop past this tree and percy learns of the existence of camp half-blood a place for demigod children of gods So kids who have one godly parent of the Greek pantheon and one mortal parent, because as divine beings, their essence can be split across so many places and planes. Naturally, they're going to father mortal or, well, I guess, sire uh, mortal children. Mm -hmm. So Sally Jackson got down with Zeus. Percy learns later. He is the son of. Don't don't spoil it. We'll get there when we all get right, there. All right. He's a son of Apollo or something. Maybe I don't know. He's a son of a bitch. Question though. <laughs> yes. Grover seems like he's in on this. So Percy gets to Camp Half Blood. He's just been in a fight with a, which is a hundred percent sponsored by the YMCA. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> they've got some kind YMCA. of sponsors. It is. If it wasn't, then it is now. The YMCA has taken over all small family camps. It is the YMCA Camp Half Blood now. It's on the signage. It's it's in like the little like subtitling. There's, like the, yeah. there's, yeah. there's the old there's the old classic that you know the old classic Camp Half Blood sign, mm-hmm. but they put a little tiny piece of wood at the top that got hammered in there. It says YMCA. It's, it's got the logo on everything. <laughs> yeah, so it's YMCA Camp. So go ahead. Uh, he he's just been in a fight with this legendary monster, and he wakes up, and he's in this like big old farmhouse wraparound porch and his latin teacher's there and he goes what are what are i who takes latin when they're 12 what Um, the hell he he's like my mom my mom's dead he's literally like bedridden recovering from a fight with a minotaur and he's like my mom's dead and his latin teacher's like true no time out what he's not sure because mm. he reveals himself to be not his Latin teacher, but actually the hero's trainer of of Greek legend, Chiron. The is that Danny DeVito? Yeah, he the the the, the centaur. Yeah, really, it is. Yeah. Hold on, yep. I have to, I have to look his name is now. Phil in Hercules. Um. Yes. Well, I think it's because he's a different figure in Hercules, but I think he's like a satyr in uh, Hercules. A satyr, but wiser. Something like that. It's. I don't think he's actually Chiron or based on Chiron. They a I mean, good a good merchandiser. Sure, yeah. but <laughs> merchandising. Grover Grover is also there with Chiron, and Percy's like, why are why why are you what are we doing? And then he realizes <laughs> that's how I felt when I was 12. Too. Right. No, exactly. I mean, that's <laughs> relatable. And so he it's looks, he, he, he like tries to get out of this bed and he's like, oh, my God, everything hurts. And he looks over at Grover and Grover has goat legs. That that makes sense. And he's like, where are your legs? And he's like, no, these are my legs. Uh, he finds out Grover's a satyr. And in Mm. Percy Jackson's life and world, satyrs are tasked by uh, various other Greeks uh, of of the demigod and magical community to go forth and find the demigod children to shepherd them safely to Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. Very rough. It's an extreme. It sucks. It is an unforgiving job because it. Go on. 
it just sucks that Zeus was so horny they had to make a camp about it. It's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. About it. I mean, all of them. He's not the only one. He's the most busy, typically. Well, he's <laughs> getting busy, all right. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be Poseidon because that's how mermaids make. That's how they make the mermaid. That's how mermaid be making. Yeah, technically. It's not Hades because right, you know yeah, no, he's definitely not. He's got his dog. He's well, not and he just to likes kids. to reanimate skeletons. That's that's mm-hmm. his big thing. Well, but wouldn't we all if we yes. had that power? Obviously, we would yes. all do it. Come on, yeah. <laughs> so Percy's like, okay, so my math teacher just attacked me. My best friend is a satyr. My Latin teacher is a centaur. What's going on? But I'm and, sure, like, I'm sure Percy at some point on? had to like wonder, like. All right, my best friend's name is Grover. Something's not right. I, you know, <laughs> authors do be picking character names. Am I right? Yeah. Grover. What kind of name is that? Come on, <laughs> like the Cleveland. Anyway. Hey, don't be hateful. We all. Y- did you pick Nick? No. <laughs> he picked. I would. He picked thick Nick. <laughs> I picked thick. <laughs> <laughs> so he he asks Shiron. He goes, "Why was my math teacher yelling at me about being a thief?" And he goes, Oh, because he stole the lightning. Somebody stole Zeus's master bolt. The lightning bolt that it... it, Calling it like a a long-range weapon isn't... It's magic. So he has this one lightning bolt, and he throws it, but he always has another if he as long as he has the master bolt and he's a master bolter precisely thank you um (laughs) and so percy's like okay so someone thinks i stole this me who did not even know i was a demigod he said i'm 12 literally so (laughs) they're like well you're at camp now camp has magical borders and monsters can't get in here so we're gonna do camp stuff and we're gonna try to figure out who your 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 parent is your your godly parents and so uh you know like any other camp they've got sword fighting they've got i know they've got a rock wall with lava they've got uh, a lake that has like naiads and dryads at it and you know camp stuff stuff. (laughs) and he's they also weave things and make bracelets it's they do Uh, it's actually necklaces and at the end of each summer you get a bead um but uh (laughs) <laughs> he he's playing capture the flag with all the other campers, you know, with which is a real thing you do at camp. With yeah. sword, but but with swords and bows and arrows and pole axes. Did he get to keep and, his clicky sword? Yes, bad. And he wins. Uh, he's he's fighting this this one senior camper who is a son of Hermes, and all the kids that have not been uh, claimed by their parent yet, Yikes. go hang out with the Hermes cabin because Hermes. As the god of travelers and of couriers and of safe passage, um, he is 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 noted in the community for being willing to accept those who who know that they belong but have not yet truly met their parent. So he's fighting well, he's fighting this uh, uh, senior Hermes camper named Luke furiously. They're just dueling swords, and Percy steps into the creek, and the water rises up, and as he's getting. As he's getting into this sword fight, the water gives him more power. And all of a sudden, as he's winning this fight, a tidal wave comes crashing over him. And the entire game of Capture the Flag stops. And they're like, oh, shit, we know who your daddy is. Because he's got a glowing blue trident over his head. Ooh. And that's how everybody learns he's a son of Poseidon. Wow. How many sons of Poseidon are there? So in The Lightning Thief... Percy Jackson is the only demigod son of Poseidon because 
the last time that Poseidon, Hades, and Zeus referred to in the Percy Jackson books as the big three. Yeah. The last time the big three had demigod children, they were so powerful that uh, World War II. Oh, seriously? Oh. World War, actual World War II? This is how the lightning thief sets up the story is, hey, bud, this is the world you live in. And this is what happened the last time your dad had any demigod kids. So good luck with that. The last time your dad had a demigod kid, they killed a bunch of Jewish so, so, people. So, hey, hey, we're not, I don't, <laughs> that is a far leap. That's no good. Secondly, we can split hairs That's later. That's what World War II was about. Right, right, right. But well. here's the thing. They don't ever, Ryordan doesn't ever specifically say which demigods were on what part of the, it's just, that was how it, how the, the, set, the stage was set. to me how the, how Poseidon, Zeus, and Hades would have some sort of story that would eventually lead to Adolf Hitler. So... Does it explain it? It doesn't. No, it does doesn't. Because it, it's a kid's ever. book. And kids <laughs> don't know what happened in World War II. So you say World War II and kids are like, oh, big war. Of course there was a big war in real life. Thank you. Because of this. So it's not until you're older that you go, oh, okay. So one of them definitely was on the side of the Nazis. Unfortunately, probably. Well, so so the thing that, it, that this begs then is that uh, in, in that case, there are... Uh, children of the big three so all three have a child yes so Mm. in this case though do we know that there are other big three children not yet Ah. but there are because they basically all had one and here's the fun part okay that's revealed in the following uh sequel books Mm. two and three because big three and how that's executed in terms of those reveals and then how uh it's resolved by book five is fascinating so the key ingredient we're missing here because we've talked about how percy's been framed for stealing Mm -hmm. a lightning bolt and all this stuff and we've talked about the big three and and these kids well the reason the big three is so relevant and why percy learns about all this and about the past and and the big three's past is because there's always a prophecy. It's not mythology. <sighs> the prophecy. For, Gre- for Greeks, at least, without some kind of prophecy. There. So they, uh, <laughs> like every other normal summer camp, in the attic of the big house, uh, the big house being Chiron's residence where Percy wakes up that first day, etc. God bless. Um, uh-huh. In the attic of the big house, uh, like every other camp, they keep a mummy of the Oracle of Delphi. And so it's this mummy that has like a a hippie, like tie dye shirt. And wait, (laughs) mummy, sorry, mummy, excuse me, sorry, like, like Scooby Doo mummy, (laughs) like, like, um, this is an extremely bad uh comparison, but it's a good good visual comparison for those of us who have suffered through Skyrim, the night mother. Oh, uh, think like that, but like less, Yikes. less inherently terrifying, and I'm more just, you. more just like more dried ancient thing. But wearing um, a tie dye shirt. shirt, wearing yeah. a tie dye shirt. So you know, uh, human uh, jerky, my favorite. But flavor. so precisely, that's <laughs> terrifying. Um, <laughs> so uh, anytime campers feel compelled by either their parent or by circumstances to go on a quest for this whatever mummy reason is like the camp 
therapist. That's wild. I don't want to say you're wrong, but I'm I would have to actually <laughs> reread all the books to actually like corroborate that. So fair enough. Continue. But uh, anytime they, the kids feel the urgency to leave the camp borders, Shiron says, you got to go talk to the mummy. If it gives you if it gives you a prophecy, get to question. Get to question. And there hadn't been Man, a lot of prophecies. And then this is lazy DMing at best, by the way. <laughs> hey, you can take that up with him, okay? Because the world building more than makes up for it. Oh, I totally agree. So Percy goes up to the attic, gets a quest, and journeys west. I didn't do that on purpose. I'm so sorry. Um because what's the next book's title? Uh the second book? Yeah. The Sea of Monsters. Okay, so it's not Percy Jackson and the Journey West. Thank, thankfully. Thankfully not. <laughs> Journey okay, to the West of Percy I would, Jackson. I would feel so bad if I had done that and that was the book title. <laughs> I I'd just be like, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, Percy Jackson turns into a monkey, gets a staff in a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he suffers through the horror of horrors of uh, veterinary science. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but so... Percy gets his quest and part of the uh, ancient uh, traditions of questing dictates that whoever is given the quest gets to choose their companions a la, you know, Odysseus, Jason and the Argonauts, mm-hmm. etc. So Percy naturally chooses Grover because that's his best friend. He said, I want the other 12 year old. And then uh, <laughs> like, are well, you for real? Sadly, Percy is not the youngest at camp. There are like nine year olds and stuff. It's pretty. Mm. Yeah. They don't twisted. And they've been fighting with swords at like capture the flag and all that. So, Dude, so die here. We'll 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 take a we'll take a quick uh, pause. I need. Yeah, more sorry. I did. Yeah, no, 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 I just have a no. lot this of like is, logistical questions. So, about. Exactly. I want to know who's running this camp. <laughs> so Shiron is running the camp. OK. And Chiron. I got some choice words. For so Shiron feels so strongly about training the children to be proficient with swords and other arms because as demigods, part of their literal being is divine, godly. They have literal powers. Mm-hmm. And because of that, and because of that uh, portion of their heritage, monsters can can track them. It's it's like their scent, quote unquote, is how it's described. They, they, monsters like actively seek them out. Precisely. And as children get older... Their scent becomes more powerful because like growing in general, the older you get, the stronger you get. And with all that being said, the reason this is even taking place in the United States is because Percy's learning all of this from Chiron and he's he's, you know, going through the existential crisis of, wow, okay, this is actually how things are. He learns that the reason the Greek gods and all of its affiliated pantheon uh, uh, hilarity and nonsense is because as Western civilization, huge air quotes around Western civilization has uh, progressed through recorded history since ancient Greek times, the Pantheon has followed them to the epicenter of where Western civilization is. And so America got the foothold in the world stage as it did in whatever period of history. And the Pantheon Probably before, because because later books talk about stuff in the past before World War Two, though. Anyway, they decide that when 
the United States is the center of Western culture. And so that's where the Pantheon is is now rooted, for lack of a better term. Mount Olympus, the floating city on a cloud, mm-hmm. is is anchored to the very top of the Empire State Building. That checks out. You go to the Empire State Building. You say the code word to the guy at the de- at the desk. You take the elevator to the five five hundredth floor. <laughs> so so not just like the U.S. But like this is the the pantheon of New York City, specifically so, New York, or the, the the greater New York City so, area. So that's that's the fun part is the entrance to Mount Olympus is in New York City, but the entrance to the underworld, the main one, Phoenix, Arizona, Los Angeles. Mm. I was gonna say Cincinnati, but you know, ah, uh, yeah. I mean, me too. If I was writing it, me too. <laughs> I shouldn't badmouth my city, but no, here's a fun fact for you, just because I have it on the top of my head. The uh, the actual spire for the Empire State Building was built as a Zeppelin docking port. So, you know, those big airships that used to come across. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. I think yeah, I they actually used to dock right there. Huh, top of the that's Empire really State cool. Building. Yeah, yeah. That was the design purpose of it. Now it just kind of looks pretty. So the There's more that fun you know, fact you. <laughs> it was beautiful. Thank you. No, uh, so. <laughs> These are these are all the ingredients, right? So we've got uh, the Pantheon moving west through through history, Percy coming of age in, in the era that we live in now and, and him learning that, OK, this is it. So all this in mind, Percy gets his quest and he decides to head towards Los Angeles with Grover and another camper who he is grudgingly befriended through his first few days at camp and capture the flag, a uh, daughter of Athena named Annabeth Chase, which is an important name we'll come back to later. Um, The two, the three of them set out for Los Angeles because at this point in time, the knowledge they have is someone stole Zeus's lightning bolt. Everyone thinks Percy did it. Percy didn't do it. So he's got to. So why, why does everyone think Percy did it? Because he was on a field trip to Manhattan the day that it was stolen, coupled with um, following World War II, the big three made a pact. No more mm-hmm. demigod children. And Percy is the first son of Poseidon to show up since that pact. And he's in Manhattan on the day that the lightning bolt is stolen. Because makes, makes Zeus is also in Manhattan? Because, well, so yes, Mount Olympus is in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's it's at the top of the Empire State Building, but being uh, ancient, powerful divine beings who have been around for centuries and have fought with each other numerous times, you find out your brother had a child you never knew about the same day your most valuable weapon goes missing. Mm. You're going to be a little suspicious. Well, sus, huh? It's it's a, a gram of sus, if you will. So sus. Percy is like, okay, all right, I got to clear my name. I got to figure out what happened to mom. Yeah, there's that whole lead, and I gotta I gotta get it done. And so he is crisscrossing the country, which is a very common element of the Percy Jackson extended universe. Uh, he is crisscrossing the country. Uh, trying to get to Los Angeles because he thinks that the best place to start rather, or, or the, the best place to start looking or to consult is Hades, the other brother. 
So that's where the story heads. And I don't want to spoil all of the story, but that's essentially how Percy Jackson's hero's journey begins. The lightning thief is an excellent story all within itself, but the way it sets up a universe to be fleshed out in the following books is in my humble opinion, unparalleled. Hmm. Like these books are definitely written and obviously marketed to like, like middle school, like young adult age, high school, um, obviously as the sequels and series expand, but truly I think the storytelling is top notch and the world building, especially for, for a fantasy geek like myself. Uh, I'm always happy to revisit for sure. Love it. So is this like a, like a, like a Harry Potter type situation where it's like you grow up with the book easily. So I mentioned yeah. before that I remember the exact point uh i first i got the first copy of the lightning thief i was a if i'm correct a fourth grader shout out scholastic book fairs oh, hell oh yeah right, ladies come I was, on <laughs> i was at the book fair in my humble elementary school and i see this book and it's got medusa a minotaur and i think mm. cerberus on the cover and i'm like this is this is crazy. The I li- too love three-headed dog. The lightning, the, yeah, exact. The lightning thief. You can steal lightning. I was like, "Mom, I got to get this book from the <laughs> book fair." Steal thunder. That's that's for sure. Um, and so I, I've been a Percy Jackson stan ever since. I actually did read uh, the first. I think the first four books of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series had been released before I had ever read Harry Potter. So. How about that? Goes way back for me. I'm a (laughs) a deep cut. (laughs) Big old fan. Deep cut. So how did you feel when you heard the movies were coming? I was really excited. I think like anyone else who who loves a good book that wants to see it transformed into a movie. You were middle school at the time, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. uh, So 2010, I was uh, probably, yeah, seventh or eighth grade for sure. Um, But so I've already established and set the stage for The Lightning Thief, the book and how... Mm -hmm the plot devices or it's pretty straightforward was anything once I, once I explained the world of Percy Jackson was anything about the plot and how it would potentially progress unclear or, or the motivations to move forward unclear. No, I I mean, it kind of sounds like it was the setup for the story that's coming in the next couple books. Precisely for sure. Um, like, like a lot of good storytelling in my humble yeah. opinion. That's how a book should work, right? <laughs> Setting right. up for yeah. extra. Crazy. Uh, yeah. So wild. The first book gets, uh, gets greenlit to be, uh, produced by film. Uh, it was, the, the film rights were, uh, acquired by 20th Century Fox and I think 2004. And, uh, the movie didn't come out until February 12th, 2010. So mm. the, the movie... It had the spirit. It was the execution of it all because um, Percy losing his mom at the start of the story is obviously a very foundational element to to the first book. It is the biggest motivator for Percy personally until he gets to the very, very end of the story. And and obviously, like Nick said, sets up the future stories. Mm -hmm. so his mom when she disappears in that flash of golden light in his first fight with the minotaur he finally finds out after he's journeyed part of the way through the united states that she's being held in the underworld by hades as collateral Uh because obviously as the third member of the big three he's just 
furious that all of this is happening and and you know I don't have any children I why are my brothers being so blah blah and so knowing he has this thing to hold over Percy yeah. obviously they got to butt heads and meet and, and figure this out so Percy in his journey across the country to the entrance of the underworld he's in St. Louis at one point Missouri precisely misery and <laughs> he naturally ends up at the the arch and he goes up top and he ends up by himself and any of us in the group because we all play D D, no oh yeah you never split the party <laughs> never split the party no and he's by himself up at the top of this arch a son of the ocean kind of up in the sky he's very nervous and uncomfortable he's naturally got a fear of heights and so here comes uncle zeus worse actually here comes here comes some kind of (laughs) underworld uh demon i'm blanking on on what creature she actually was but she has a um oh no i think it's echidna i think it's like the original greek myth of echidna it's this horrifying story uh but she has a oh shoot i'm blanking on what monster she's got she's got a monster that breathes fire i want to say it's something akin to like a a manticore but i know it's not a manticore fair enough and so percy's only option is to literally jump out of the arch oh great nice and he just he just Yeats. yeats himself and he lands in the river and he learns one of the perks of being a son of Poseidon is that you can fall from however many stories into water. If water is the result, your money, you're good. Every time. <laughs> Literally. No matter what, it doesn't even matter if you fall. If the, if the end result is water, you're good to you're go. Good. So like so, get as drunk as you want because you're going to end up with water. He hits, he hits the surface of the water, immediately is like, I'm unhurt. And then he's like, I'm dry. As a son of Poseidon, if he doesn't want his clothes and his his everything to, to be affected by the water when he's underwater, it just isn't. No. Oh. That, that's his choice. That's a nice catch. Another perk. And he's down there at the bottom of the river in St. Louis, and he's like, man, humans are doing a really bad job taking care of waterways. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a blue person pulls up and is like, I'm the spirit of the river. What's good? And he's like... <laughs> <laughs> and they what go is good my man they go here and they give him three pearls and they Bet. say throw these on the ground when you need to make a quick escape this is super vital and like a lot of great stories like dungeons and dragons magical items almost always have a specific purpose for a specific moment yes so percy we're gonna fast forward again a bit Percy gets to the underworld. He still has these three pearls and he is finally in the presence of Hades, who the two of them are finally figuring, figuring out. Oh, he didn't do that. Oh, he didn't do that. Okay. Something's going on. Um, and they have to make a quick exit. And so Percy makes an absolutely colossally difficult decision. And he takes the three pearls and he smashes them on the ground. And he, Grover, and Annabeth are then encased in bubbles that float them up through the earth. And then their bubbles pop and they're out in the ocean by, I think it's like Santa Monica Pier or something like that. Dang. Whoa. Um, 
So the reason I tell you all this and I give you all that setup is because the movie doesn't do any of it, doesn't do anything that the book does. The movie instead wow. is like, OK, hey, you know, Percy. that camp nowhere. Yeah. They go, OK, <laughs> Percy, your mom's disappeared and you got to go get her back. And along the way, you have to collect these three pearls because these three pearls are going to help you get your mom back when you're in the. Un- so. They, kind of, I was going to say, guess. they took elements of the book and said, let's let's do it. And keep none of the, the things that make this a compelling story to follow. But if yeah. they hadn't done that, we'd just have a really cool Greek mythology based buddy road trip movie. That's nice. Yeah. And that's dope. Yeah, that's and truly you couldn't have said it better because I, I mentioned before about how one of the biggest mainstay elements of a Percy Jackson book is at some point there's some kind of cross country trip in some fashion. Mm-hmm. That's a, truly it's like it's part of the Rick Riordan formula for for he he literally takes the hero's journey of the individual story and always marries it to some kind of physical distance that has to be covered. And nothing about the original book was was not was was untranslatable to to film. They could have they could have completely kept every plot element intact and chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it got the reviews and reception that it did, because it was less than positive from what's people the, uh, who read the books and wanted what's the Rotten Tomatoes score. If you don't mind Ooh, me asking, I would love to tell you if you'll give me that's, just one that's moment. Usually a good benchmark for like if I watch a film or not, because if it's below like, say, 60 or so, I'm like, it seems I, like it seems like the the biggest thing with this is that like we're coming off the backs of like the Lord of the Rings movies, <laughs> the Harry Potter movies, mm. all these like really good, high budget, faithful adaptations of these books. And it's just like that, like every fan for the most part was like, yeah, that's good. That's great. I love this. Uh, but then you get Percy Jackson. It's just like. Disappointment, like eh, <laughs> I wanted more. See, And that's and that's why. The the book, uh, the, the movies didn't ever get, I think, the same traction as, say, mm-hmm. like Harry Potter or other contemporaries like Twilight or um, um, The Hunger Games, Divergent, yeah. you know, like YA novels like ruled movie theaters before Marvel. Um, and that's true. That wasn't like, you know. Trends in, in cinema, like anything else, are going to come and go. I'm not going to dispute that, but I, it just it, it feels like such a missed opportunity at the time. Because dum, dum. Dum, it was dum, just dum, announced dum, in the last. Oh, shoot. I want to say back in November of 2021 that. Hell yeah. Percy Jackson and the Olympians is getting a TV series on Disney Plus. Hell yeah. And hey. they do it right over there. And. and- Rick Riordan, the author and creator, and his wife are heavily, heavily involved. His wife are heavily involved (laughs) in production. Um, Here's what I was excited about is that they casted Percy Jackson already. And it's the kid from the Adam Project. Walker Scoble. That's right. Yep. The new uh, the new uh, Ryan Reynolds joint. He plays a young Ryan Reynolds. And if you've seen the Adam Project, he is gosh, so good. Just such a talented little actor. I love that you mentioned that, Alex. I uh, that, super phenomenal. Um, the quippiness of of 
that actor in that movie, The Adam Project, uh, is very akin to the Ryan Reynolds quippiness. I think I think most of us have seen like Deadpool oh, yeah. or Deadpool Two or Free Guy or something yeah, like I mean, that. Ryan yeah. Reynolds quippiness. In <laughs> I was going to say is... like we all when we talk about Ryan Reynolds being snarky in a movie, like we all instantly know that the style and tone. Yep. And that's why I'm so excited for this kid to be cast as Percy Jackson because that level of of wit and snark and um attitude is very Percy. He is a kid who has had some learning difficulties and up until this magical part of his life comes in to play, he was living in a blended family in a small apartment in New York city. And he was having some struggles with uh, his mother's um, husband, Gabe and just, what's his what's his last name? I thought I saw this somewhere. Oh, uh Gabe, Percy's stepfather. His uh Gabe's last name is Ugliano. <laughs> I'm okay. sure that not has being not being subtle there at nothing all. Nothing to do with the quality of Gabe. Um but, Well, I, I was like looking, I was reading through some of the wikis wikis as we were going, and it was like literally the reason why Percy's mom married Gabe is because he just smells so bad. Exactly. Percy comes to find out towards the end of The Lightning Thief that the only reason he uh, suffered through that kind of hardship well, alongside Sally was because she was doing everything she could to protect him from knowing his parentage. Because, mm. like like I mentioned before about how the older a child gets, the more uh, susceptible they become to being attacked. Mm-hmm. Um their their own knowledge of their parentage also has an effect Uh so the sooner they're aware of of their full familial history is it it, it's like a milestone it it can kickstart it to to another level right it's it's like it's like uh uh semi-deity or uh it's like their version of like a puberty moment yeah yeah you gotta start wearing like deodorant you gotta take showers more frequently yeah 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 because so we have, <laughs> yeah, we have they, they got more. that God stank on them. Stank. <laughs> that good God stank. Uh, we got 10 more minutes. So here's what I'm going to say. Uh, do you still have a lot more planned, Dan? Uh, I had a ton more planned. I was really over prepared, but I've, I've, I think no, we've done then, a great job covering, giving, giving plenty of folks a good enough reason to go explore this universe. Yes. That's true. With, the 10 minutes we have left, though, how much of what you have planned do you think you can get out? Um, I could probably I could <laughs> I could run. I'd love to talk about Rick Roy Orton because it actually. Um, Let's go. Cool. OK, Who's this man? if you need more than 10 minutes, you take it. We'll do a long so, episode this uh, this time. Richard Russell Roy Orton Jr. was born in uh, Texas in 1964, and he uh, grew up in a house full of artists. His father was a ceramicist and his mother was a musician and artist. So going into writing, going into anything artistic was never out of the question. They were just like, go get it, kid. Mm -hmm. Um, He started writing around the age of 13. He, in some capacity, just because we all know how quickly school evolves, uh, he grew up learning about Greek and Norse mythology. So like obviously a love of fantasy is being cultivated there. Um, And everything I'm telling you is pulled from Rick Roy Orton's website. His website is incredible. Um, So Around this time as well, he found a love for Lord of the Rings. He says on his website, it was the first series of books that he read for fun. So we've got all this going on in high school. He worked as the editor of the school paper. 
Uh, he also this dude played D and D. He went hard. He yeah, went hard. Absolutely. He published an underground newspaper as a high schooler, dunking on the high school football team for their oh. their winning streak. <laughs> big bet. And got his car egged. Uh, so you know he was living big. He was doing his thing. And so he went to college. He started college at North Texas State as a guitar major, like music major, because he thought he wanted to be a guitarist. And then he was like, <laughs> and so he transferred to the University of Texas at Austin, where he double majored in. English english and history and so he graduated and was like heck yeah and while he worked in college because obviously music was still a part of his life he music directed at a camp called camp capers Mm. ymca camp capers thank you so (laughs) we have (laughs) a a, he worked at a literal camp at a literal camp and once you work at a camp you get it yeah i yeah no yep Mm -hmm. so he we all worked at camps except for nick maybe I mean, I didn't like actually work guess? at camp when I <laughs> oh. when I went on tour. I did a workshop at one once. That it was cool. Uh, um. Anyway, I went to camp. So, Does that count? I don't know. Yes, that kind counts. Yeah. That counts. It's um, a sleepover camp. Yeah. But he uh, got certified to be a teacher of English and history from the University of Texas uh, at San Antonio. And so he was student teaching, and then he was a teacher in Texas for a while, and then he said. I'm going to move out of Texas for a while. And so he moved to San Francisco and he taught in San Francisco for eight years. And then he and his wife had their two sons, Haley and his pa- wife. His, yes. Haley and Patrick. And he goes, okay, well I have this incredible wife. Uh, I have my two sons, <laughs> Haley and Patrick. Let's move back to Texas. And so he moved back to Texas and he taught at a school. Like the Bowling for Soup song. I mean, I got, come back to Texas. I actually know that one. That's crazy. Hey, God bless. Um, <laughs> wow. So they get back to Texas and the fun part before Percy Jackson, before any of this in Rick Riordan's life, he had been writing a uh, mystery series for adults. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this name, so I'm sorry. The main character is Jackson Navarre, but he goes by a nickname. I think it's Trace, like three Trace Navarre. And so the first book in the Trace Navarre mystery series is called Big Red Tequila. It was published in, I believe, 97 and went on to win some awards in 98 and kind of jumpstarted his career as an author. And so while he was teaching initially, while he he was first raising his sons, he was writing the Trez Navarre series. And so he is raising his sons and Haley, his son, starts to have some trouble in school. And his son Haley gets diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. Oh, so we've got two elements for Percy Jackson right there. And so a big part of uh, the history that he, he he would teach, he loved to teach mythology. He was allowed to, he, he taught a mythology class. And so one of his exercises in this class would be he just to, to get the students creativity flowing for whatever he was doing. He'd say, pick a Greek God, pretend they have a kid. Just write a quick little story about this kid as a, as a, a, a child hero of this God. And so he would tell his son, Haley, the Greek mythology stories as bedtime stories, probably versions that were suitable for, for bedtime stories, because yeah, those are not stories for that or children. <laughs> um, and so one night he runs out of stories. He's like, I have told my son all of these. And he goes, OK, I'll, I'll use this writing exercise. And that's where the first story of Percy Jackson was told. Over the course of three nights, he hashes out what is to become the lightning thief. And so he gets done telling his son this story over three nights. And he's his son is like, 
you should that should be a book and so he <laughs> he, he gets uh, he's been writing for years already just for adult readers so he gets this first manuscript done and he gives it to his son and his son is like this is awesome this this and this and he's like okay okay and so rick's words he test drives the manuscript with some of his students he picked a handful of students across a couple different grades um he was teaching sixth seventh and eighth grade at the time um but he gave it to each of them that uh he, he you know out of those groups that he picked and he wanted feedback so they helped him workshop some names percy's sword the uncapping of the sword and and how it goes from pen to sword was a student's idea uh the whole nine like it the, was because the pen is mightier than the sword yeah wow i have a question when he when he like undoes the cap does it this is very important does it make like the sword sheath sound or does it make like the pen cap like sound because <laughs> either are acceptable because really. it would be very Dang. i know, would love I it so much if it's just say. like a I don't think it ever specifies. I would love That's... it if it's just like a quiet little but then it's right a into a big old sword. Yeah. <laughs> what if it's so like great. a what if it's like a like a right pop? I like that. Like yeah. A, and then as it extends, like a lightsaber goes, but this one goes <laughs> like like a sword. So if I'm correct, because they do go over this through the books, if Percy ever loses the sword through non-magical means. It's just a pen, right? The pen always reappears in his pocket. Nice. Oh. So like he he several times has been in a fight and his sword's gotten knocked out of his hand. And then he's like, OK, I got to stall. And then eventually he feels his pen in his pocket and he's like, OK, let's go. Like happens all the time. So my understanding is he takes the pen, uh, the cap off the pen. And when he puts the cap on the back of the pen, that's when it transforms into a sword. Oh. Oh. And so he takes he I don't know if it like. I don't know the full details about how the hilt and handle of his sword and, and we all want this pen. I, I yes, what's happening. Say, yeah. But he in some some degree, some way can can then take the cap, touch it to the tip of the blade, and it shrinks back to a pen. Hmm. Dope. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty that. cool. Well, and there's a whole history of the blade that you learn as as all the books progress. It's pretty What's that? What's the history? So you, Alex, have loved talking about the main man of the Disney fan, Herc. Hercules. Hercules. Percy finds out in this initial battle at the beginning of the Lightning Thief in the museum, he finds out that he can read ancient Greek. His Latin teacher chucks him the chucks him the pen. It turns into a sword as he catches it because it's his first time mm-hmm. being handed this artifact. And he sees on the blade and engraved in ancient Greek, Anaklosmos, which is ancient Greek for Riptide, which Ooh. was Hercules sword. Oh shit. Hercules go so, bye-bye. So Hercules in ancient Greek in like Greek mythology after his like labors that he had yeah. to do, he, he like was, ascended to god. He was granted right? godhood and he yeah. he actually Ma- shows Megara, up Megara does not keep him That's, from being a god. Yeah, yeah. He like Megara dies in like the first trial or whatever. Yeah. But wow. it's like um, wild. But Hercules actually shows up in the second five. Uh, book series of that Percy Jackson's in. So he says, "Give me back my pen." You know, it's funny because I don't think Percy actually ever gets to talk to him. Wild. I just looked it up, and he's holding a baseball bat. Bat. Hercules holds a baseball bat now. Yeah, okay. I think he does have a bat in the books at one point. That's really funny. I had forgotten about that. 
Well, because isn't it like in mythology, he has like a great club that he yeah, uses. it's a, yeah, he, uh, he's famed for and it's just a the club. modern rendition of a great club is just a big old baseball bat. Baseball bat works. <laughs> Talk softly and carry a big stick. Carry big <laughs> ass bat. Nineteen oh one. Man, that's super dope. All of that is very dope. It's I literally. Uh, how is it? How, is it how one of those? Not want to read them? Why would you is not it, read them? The the this all sounds is the books like because you said that they start off being made for like middle schoolers to high schoolers. Is it one of those things like you kind of have to put that aside when you're reading it? Like, or is it like very engrossing even for like me, a near 30 year old? Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly. So I think, um, I love that you bring this up, Michael, truly. Thank you so much. Um, cause that's one of the big things it, 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 I can actually hit the themes of the books. Cause I think this yeah. segues into it really nicely. So, um, I've talked about, you know, the difficulties of growing up, all the difficulties that Percy had in his life before he realized he had all this magic shit going on. So even with that in mind, yeah, he, him and two other 12 year olds, Grover's technically like 14 or something because satyrs age slower than humans, whatever. In the movies, they're all 27. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, imagine imagine being 12 or, or, or 13 and you and two friends have to get from Long Island to Los Angeles unchaperoned. Like, good luck. Like, like, say chaperoned again. I said unchaperoned. I believe your chaperoned. tone was you said unchaperoned. Oh, unchaperoned. Um, Go ahead. But uh, yeah, and so. I mean, you can you can remember being that age and being left to yeah. your own devices with a couple friends and just like the <laughs> chaos that ensues and well, and and having well, and having a moment to yourself of like, I'm in charge of something right now and I've literally never been ever prepared for this. I can't do this. Well, here this this might help a little bit. So does do, do these books occur in the first or third person? Third, because. Third. Okay. Third. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. It's so it, it's like it, so it's like a narrator putting themselves close to the same like shoes very close. Like, very so close. like how Harry Potter's. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. yeah. Hmm. And and what makes I think these books so accessible, um, what I think makes them so fun, uh, because I, I mentioned about how before about how the entirety of the mythology and pantheon is, is now woven into Western civilization. Um, obviously, as Percy's traveling, he's going to encounter other uh, figures from Greek myths and tales, yeah. um, because naturally their their places of residence have also migrated with the rest of the pantheon, and so as Percy is is learning more about this world that he really does truly inhabit, it's funny, you know, he's twelve and he hasn't eaten in four days, and Grover because he's a goat man can talk to animals. And so they're in Jersey and Percy's <laughs> like, I'm so hungry. And Percy and Grover is like, well, this dog said we can get food over there and it's a pink poodle. Like <laughs> that's way better than what I thought that's was going to happen. Hilarious. <laughs> and yeah. So, I love, I love that. There's just like this level of like absurdity and they just lean into how ridiculous the story into, is. Yeah. And so, um, like, they go, they go to get food, and it's this garden emporium that also has this weird food court. And one of those statues looks like Grover's Uncle Ferdinand. And why won't the lady who runs this place take off her weird veil? And oh my god, it's Medusa. Um, <laughs> all this stuff. like Crazy. Of course, Medusa, the, the Gorgon who can stone flesh people with her vision, is going to hide 
as the owner of a garden emporium. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 got all these really that's just one example of literally almost every Greek myth that you can think of and the figures within having some kind of new life in in the world that they that they live in. And so that further colors their interactions with the kids who are who are kids, you know, like I've always been here and you're thousands of year old and you chose to do this. I'm blanking on um, I'm bl- another great example. I'm blanking on his name, but there was a, uh, a scary. I think he was a Cyclops or just some other bipedal monster. He would stretch people. He would. It was the, the torture device where they tie ropes to your wrists and yeah, ankles yeah, and stretch yeah. you. Oh. So so that guy breaking on the wheel is uh, that guy is hiding out near Los Angeles. Obviously, if he's going to be killing people, he's going to be relatively near the entrance to the underworld. Mm hmm. As a mattress salesman. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You've been traveling cross country for days, pursuing monsters, fighting off monsters, and you're exhausted. You blunder into this mattress place. Then maybe I'll grab a quick cat nap. And then you're trapped. And this guy has a really weird name and he's trying to kill you. As one does. <laughs> but... Yeah, just the whimsy of it all, the humor of it all. It's uh, and and like I said, the comparisons, the new life, the way, the way Ryordan has these really fun kind of echoes or parallels of the ancient stories and how he's woven them into the world that he's built for these characters. I just, oh man, I think it's second to none. I think it is absolutely. I think it's one of the most astounding uses of, of like, realistic fiction woven into everyday the everyday world i'll give it a whirl yeah man that's so awesome well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your passion of percy jackson with us thank you for having informative and i'm already thinking how can i get it on audiobook because i also have adhd and cannot read long i will now plug something that is awesome there's an app (sighs) called (laughs) libby and if you have a library card all you do is punch in your library card number into the Libby app and you can get ebooks and audiobooks. Oh, free. So it's That's, free. I do that too. I actually do use Libby. So, so you can get well an audiobook on Libby. It's that easy. There we huh? go. That's that easy. You just need a library card and they're very easy to get. And if you're more of a visual reader, most of the Percy Jackson books have also been turned into graphic novels if that's your jam, so... Oh, that's my jam. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's way my jam. I'm going with that I'm pretty confident the first five books, the ones that are entirely Percy-oriented, are graphic novels. I'm not confident about any of Ryordan's other spinoff series having been graphic novelized. Um, The second five, which are uh, called The Heroes of Olympus... Um, might have graphic novels. Don't quote me on that. Fair enough. Well, much like the end of a uh, an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy, here's a musical interlude that'll take us into our final segment. <laughs> Welcome back. As always, uh, we're going to end off the episode with a quick this. Nick, you got a quick this for us? Uh, in a separate window that I'm pulling up now. Oh, <laughs> this is embarrassing. I'm really sorry. Oh my god! Something real embarrassing. Our uh, our guest Dan is still here with us, of course. Oh no! And I never I told him that he would have to do a quick this in a mere five minutes 
because I forgot. He can come back. And now I'm, te- and now I'm letting him know, live on the show, that he needs to come up with a quick this in the next five minutes because he will be doing one right after you're done for not our episode that releases the week that he guest starred on, but the next one. Uh, now back to you, Nick. <laughs> the faces of panic. <laughs> I don't enjoy this at all. Um, so I guess I guess I'll go ahead and get started. Um, do we, I will get your timer do we pulled need a timer? up. Timer, uh, guys, come on. Yes. Okay. I won't ramble on. Ready. Script. Okay. Set. Go. Today on my quick this, I'd like you to join me on a voyage back to my childhood. Uh, maybe it will be a flashback to your childhood as well. I don't know. Uh, maybe even a flash forward to your current viewings of media on the internet. I think we can all recall a time when we could just spend a summer afternoon by ourselves watching the TV, and that would be all we did for a day, and it would be great. No worries or cares. Maybe the occasional mom or dad yelling at you to clean your room, but for the most part, it was undisturbed, unabridged television viewing. During this time, you might have watched some good shows. I know Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network were among my favorites, but every so often I flip through the channels to the Discovery Network or the Science Channel to one of my favorite shows, How It's Made. Mm. And that's the topic of my quick this tonight. That's funny because when I said the thing about Dan, that was kind of like our how it's made, but for a quick this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just panic writing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but perhaps you don't know what How It's Made is. And that's an excusable offense because it seems like it only appealed to a niche bunch, bunch of people who happen to be far older than me at the time. Um, quick plug for- I think we were all into it for a very long time. Here's my- This isn't going to affect your time, but my memory of How It's Made is watching it on a sick day with a Sprite in my mm, hand. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, uh, when you were off school for the summer, you you just flipped on down to the sound channel. And you're like, hell yeah! Um, if I may do a quick plug for Rick and Morty interdimensional cable show, the Plumbus. The Plumbus is a good uh, little parody of this. <laughs> Should go watch that. It's funny. Um, <laughs> simply put, how it's made is a showcase of how things are made. And spoiler alert, there are a lot of assembly lines because that's kind of how modern manufacturing seems to work. Uh, It's within these assembly lines that we are provided with a primordial root of the mildly interesting or oddly satisfying subreddits that you might subscribe to today. And there's something super satisfying about watching a series of tin cans getting labels slapped on them at breakneck speed with laser-guided precision. I realize I still haven't really answered the question of what is how it's made, so I'll provide you a description from Wikipedia, and it's uh, this, as follows, quote, How it's made is a Canadian documentary television series that premiered on January 6th of 2001 on the Discovery Channel in Canada and the Science Channel in the United States. And guess what? It's still going on today, so you can watch fresh new episodes rolling off the proverbial assembly line of, uh, of television. Now, perhaps you've wondered, wandering the aisles of your local supermarket, hey, how the heck do they make Twinkies? And why are they so damn good? How It's Made seeks to answer the first question by providing you with a brief, synop- brief synopsis of the production process, I guess. Um, you might think of there, there might be an army of bakers somewhere in a giant factory all handcrafting each individual Twinkie by hand. But no, in modern mass production, everything flows from a series of conveyors fed by vats upon vats of raw ingredients. It kind of boggles the mind to think about everything that goes into producing all the stuff around of our houses and how easy it is to buy them at a store for a relatively cheap price, all things considered. While how it's made may just be a visually appealing show to watch, what it is at its core is a deeper level testament to the 
uh, economical force of economies of scale, which as defined by Google is a proportionate saving in cost gained by an increased level of production, which is to say, the more that these companies, these factories can produce, the cheaper it is to us, the consumer. Well, this is fraught with environmental concerns and the possible downsides of capitalism. You can at least appreciate the mass amount of, say, Twinkies rolling off an assembly line and directly into our mouths because they really are delicious and apparently immune to nuclear blasts, which is a good thing in our modern state of global affairs. But anyways, thanks for listening to my quick this tonight. I think how it's made provides a great background noise for any activities you might be doing in the vicinity of a TV. It's also a great show to watch, whether you care about how something is made or not. You might just walk away with a great appreciation of the items you find around your house, like maybe your phone that you're listening to this podcast on right now. So thanks for listening, listening in and entertaining this. Nice. Yes. Well done. Yes. Uh, here's something interesting. Did you guys know that if you have a pair of AirPods or other uh, Apple-related headphones, that you can actually go into your settings and change stuff, like you change it on your radio? Like you can turn up the bass, turn down the bass, turn up the treble, turn yeah. down the treble, all that. And more importantly, there's an accessibility feature where you can turn on white noise to constantly play in the background, no matter what. Even if something else is playing, it just turns down the white noise and turns it up. You can do like uh, like uh, what they call high noise, a low noise, a mild noise, and then they have a water and a rain option as well. So if you're the type of person who has trouble sleeping, you can just put on your Beats by Dre or something and listen to some rain sounds hmm. via your hmm. iPhone's accessibility features. Sorry, just thought of that because you said something about background noise. We all like background noise. Something, 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 background noise. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on our show, bud. Do you have anything to plug? <laughs> I What I have to plug is the Percy Jackson Extended Universe and all of Rick Riordan's other books. Here, let me try. So the four of us host a podcast uh, <laughs> with the assistance of host us. <laughs> with, with the assistance of Chloe, uh, our fact checker. We have a podcast called Project Icosa. That is a D&D actual play podcast that our lovely guest Dan plays in, plays Zelgadon Solaris. So if you like Percy Jackson, you might just like Project Icosa. I sure hope so. I'd, I'd like sure to think so. so. I'd like to think we're heading in a path of that direction. Episode uh, four is about to drop, so Hey-o. get on board. Get on board while you can. There are only three hours of uh, playtime you have to listen to as of right now. So go jump on board with that. As always, though, if there's anything in the realm of entertainment that we haven't covered on our 113 episodes of this podcast, yep, that's where we're at now, uh, there's a couple of ways you could throw us your suggestions, and hey, if we don't know anything about it, you just might be invited to be a guest on our show, like Dan was today. Uh, the ways that you can do it, the easiest way is to go to our website, www.entertainthis.net slash et dash podcast scroll all the way to the bottom there's a little questionnaire that you can fill out right there and those get sent straight to us another thing that you can do is just go to our email we are entertain this podcast at gmail.com shoot us your suggestions there find us on twitter we are entertain underscore this on instagram we are entertain this podcast and on facebook we are podcast entertain this and as always entertain us so we can entertain you, and you can entertain this. See you guys next Friday. Bye. 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 Bye.
Special thanks to Dan Robertson for joining us on this special episode of Entertain This. Additional commentary was provided by Michael Savoya, Nick Westkangas, and Malik Steele. Our showrunner and resident fact-checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.